When a groom stands innocently before an audience and watches his bride come down the aisle, he doesn't have a clue about the immeasurable joy ahead for his life. Nor does he have any idea about the intense relational trials coming as well. Today on Insight for Living, you'll hear Chuck Swindoll teach from one of the most familiar passages in all the Bible for husbands and wives. And over the next few days, we hope to gain a whole new appreciation for the wisdom contained in these Spirit-inspired words. Today's message comes from the Hope Again series. Our subject, Hope Beyond I Do. A wedding is one thing, but a marriage is something else entirely. What a difference between the way things start in a home and the way they continue. You who are married are smiling right now. Marriage begins like a romantic moonlight sleigh ride, smoothly gliding over the glistening snow. Doesn't that sound great? It's living together after that honeymoon that turns out to be, well, rough backpacking across rocks and hot sand. For two people to live in domestic harmony, well, that takes a lot of give and take. If you need any confirmation of that outside your own home, just look at the statistics. No, better still, don't look at the statistics. Just look around you, like on your job, at the office, maybe around your neighborhood, even at church. It's a litany of broken marriages and separations Divorces and fractured homes, all kinds of convoluted relationships. Hey, some children have so many step-parents, they can't keep track of all of them. Peter describes this in a very interesting way in the third chapter of First Peter, the first seven verses. I want you to listen closely to his words as I read them to you. He addresses first the wives and then he offers words of counsel to husbands. I'm reading from 1 Peter chapter 3, beginning at verse 1. In the same way, you wives, be submissive to your own husbands, so that even if any of them are disobedient to the word, they may be won without a word by the behavior of their wives as they observe your chaste and respectful behavior. Your adornment must not be merely external, braiding the hair, wearing gold jewelry, or putting on dresses, but let it be the hidden person of the heart, with the imperishable quality of a gentle and quiet spirit, which is precious in the sight of God. For in this way, in former times, the holy women also, who hoped in God, used to adorn themselves, being submissive to their own husbands, just as Sarah obeyed Abraham, calling him Lord. And you have become her children if you do what is right, without being frightened by any fear. You husbands, in the same way, Live with your wives in an understanding way, as with someone weaker, since she is a woman, and show her honor as a fellow heir of the grace of life, 
so that your prayers will not be hindered. You're listening to Insight for Living, and you can access additional study tools for the Hope Again series online at insight.org. And now the message from Chuck Swindoll, Hope Beyond I Do. We're studying the book of 1 Peter on Sunday evenings, and we want to take up this evening where we left off last time. And because of that, I would like to invite you to turn to the third chapter of this little letter that Peter wrote. Peter is the one who was once the fisherman, who was called by Jesus from the the nets, as Jesus invited him to become a fisher of men. Little did Peter ever realize that his future held for him not only a strong leadership role in the early church in the first century, but he would be a contributor of all things to the Bible, the first and second letters that bear his name over here toward the end of the New Testament. Now, interestingly, in our study today, we come to a seven-verse section in this little letter that has to do with marriage. It has to do with the role of the, of the wife who knows and loves the Lord and the role of the husband who knows and loves the Lord. Uh, a wedding is one thing. A marriage is something else entirely. It's amazing what a difference a few years make. From a night of absolute ecstasy and marvelous memories, from soft candles and beautiful music and the presence of a minister and an altar and organ music and family and friends and the joy of the honeymoon that follows, there then is a new road that is taken by this couple called marriage. It's quite a bit different from the wedding night. Joe Aldridge, in his book, Secrets to Inner Beauty, writes this. One of the most clever Volkswagen ads shows an impeccable little car with a flat tire. And the caption reads, nobody's perfect. When two imperfect people fall in love, strange things happen. Logic and rationality go out the window. Blindness sets in. Overcome with ecstatic paralysis, they float away on their cloud built for two. Marriage, however, has a way of ending this glowing period of simulated perfection. Where two or more are gathered together, someone is going to have a flat tire. It doesn't take long for the newlyweds to discover that everything in one person nobody's got. They soon learn that a marriage license is just a learner's permit. And they ask with agony, is there life after marriage? An old Arab proverb states that marriage begins with a prince kissing an angel and ends with a bald-headed man looking across the table at a fat lady. Socrates once told his students, by all means, marry. If you get a good wife, twice blessed you will be. If you get a bad wife, you'll become a philosopher. 
My thoughts in this message have to do with the give and take of domestic harmony. Um, if you do not know me, then you have no way of knowing this, so I need to clarify that I am a realist. I am not an idealist. I've been married 33 and a half years, and they have been years of learning and growth, years of, of difficulty and in years of ecstasy, years of delight and discovery, years of heartache and hardship, years of having children, some years of losing children before they're born, years of growing together, and I must confess some days in which it seemed we were growing apart. So I'm not coming at this passage from the viewpoint of one who has not been married or is trying to talk anyone into it. As a matter of fact, I don't think I have ever in my life even attempted to talk anyone into marriage. I've talked many people out of it. Because I believe if you can talk couples out of it, they shouldn't get married. But if you can't keep them from one another, and it seems as though it is wise for them to become one, then we all know they need all the help they can get. Now this little gem of truth tucked away in the heart of the letter is like a diamond in a ring. The diamond alone would sort of wash around and get lost and lose its beauty. But in its right setting, it is an absolute gem. It is a thing of sparkling delight. And this setting, this ring in which the diamond of the passage is found, is called the context. One of the basic rules of good Bible study is always integrate with the context. Never take a verse and lift it from its setting and make a whole message out of it regardless of what appears around it. That's not only poor Bible study that will lead you to heresy before long. So the context of this third chapter, verses 1 to 7, goes all the way back to chapter 2, verse 13. So if you have your Bible open, look back at 1 Peter 2, verse 13. Submit yourselves for the Lord's sake to every human institution whether to a king as the one in authority or to governors as sent by him for the punishment of evildoers. Verse 15, for such is the will of God that by doing right you may silence the ignorance of foolish men. So that little section talks about submitting to governmental authorities, not leading an insurrection, not marching against the White House not assaulting the government, thinking that that is the best way as citizens of heaven we can declare our, our life and our lifestyle. Now, we've looked at this before, so there's no reason to go any further into it. Verse 18 may shock you. Chapter 2, verse 18 addresses slaves. And in the first century, it was never the design of God to lead slaves out of slavery. In fact... Verse 18 says, be submissive to your masters. Now already I sense a resistance from some of you. Because it is not in the American mind to be in slavery to anyone. But this isn't American theology. This is biblical theology. This isn't truth written by some grand American. This is truth written through the inspiration of the Holy Spirit 
designed for an altogether different reason than you and I may have in writing today. So let's let it say what it says. Servants, you be submissive to your masters with all respect, not only to those who are good and gentle, but also to those who are unreasonable. What a strange piece of advice. You and I, probably without hesitation, would say to someone who is working for an unreasonable superior, get out of that. You don't need that. But that's not God's counsel here. And as an illustration of his counsel, verse 21, he says, you've been called for this purpose. Since Christ suffered for you, leaving you an example for you to follow in his steps. In what way? Verse 22, he committed no sin, nor was any deceit found in his mouth. While being reviled, Christ on the cross did not revile in return. He uttered no threats while suffering. He kept entrusting himself to him who judges righteously. So the context of 1 Peter 3, 1 to 7, is living within a situation that is unfair and sometimes unbearable. Washing down to chapter 3, verse 1, Peter comes to the subject at hand, the subject of marriage. And he says, in the same way. Now, that's a very interesting connective. In the same way as as whom? In the same way as Christ. Chapter 2, verse 21. In the same way as servants. Chapter 2, verse 18. In the same way as citizens in a country. Chapter 2, verse 13. Wives, in the same way, be submissive to your own husband. That word needs to be analyzed. We've done it, so let me do it quickly once again. It is the Greek word hupotasso. It means to fall in rank under the authority of another. It carries with it the idea of subjecting oneself to another for the purpose of pleasing the other person. It, um, it has in mind even the idea of obeying. Now, when I say that, I smile because I know this is probably the hottest potato I could handle in a gathering of men and women, especially women who have been ripped off in their marriage and some who have not left their husbands and are currently living in an unreasonable state of affairs. Last time we were together, I talked about the extremes of this, and I I want you to know that I do not believe Peter or any other part of Scripture uh, admonishes the wife to stay in a situation where her health is being threatened, where her life is being threatened, or that of her children. That is beyond the teaching of Scripture. That is not what submission is all about. So please don't run to that extreme and hide there thinking you can give up the importance of submission, therefore, in every other area or every other level. Let's just let the scripture speak for itself and let me see if I can unravel these verses, not that they need that, but in some of your minds they may seem confusing. 
And uh, let me see what I can do with these for the next few minutes. Um, and by the way, I have a very interesting conclusion for you in this message, which will be surprising and perhaps one time only. So you can look forward to that for the next few minutes. First of all, I think God in these first six verses offers wise counsel to the wives by giving four pieces of advice. If you want to write them down, fine. If you don't, that's fine. Just listen carefully. And I want not only the wives to listen, I want the husbands to listen as well. And you who are not married, what great preparation for your future if God happens to have marriage in his plans for you. First of all, wives, God says in this passage, verses 1 and 2, analyze your actions. Analyze your actions. In the same way, wives, be submissive to your own husbands, so that even if any of them are disobedient to the word, they may be won without a word by the behavior of their wives, by the actions, by the conduct, by the behavior of their wives, as they, that is, the husbands, Observe your chaste and respectful behavior. Now, the tendency on the part of many wives is to think, sure, I'll be that kind of wife. I'll be the kind of wife I should be as long as he's going to be the husband he should be. Uh, That sounds great. Turnabouts is fair play. There's only one problem. The passage isn't written to wives who have husbands who play fair. The passage is written to to wives whose husbands are disobedient to the word. Or I'm misreading verse 1. In fact, this paragraph is written precisely to people who live with disobedient mates. Mates who are going their own way. Mates who care little about the things of God. Husbands who would even mock the things of Christ. Husbands who have no place in their minds for spiritual truth. They are the ones who are disobedient to the word. Now, the great tendency, ladies, is for you to substitute manipulation for a quiet spirit. Pouting or sulking or scheming or bargaining or nagging or preaching or embarrassing or forcing. But wives who are obedient to the truth Take the truth for what it says. You see, wives, you are not responsible for your husband's life. You are responsible for your life. You cannot make your husband something he is not. Only God can do that. I think it was Ruth Graham who said a number of years ago, It is my job to love Billy. It is God's job to make him good. Wives, it is your job to love your husbands. It is God's job to change his life. The second piece of advice is from verse 3. Watch your adornment. Watch your adornment. In these verses, verses 3 and 4, Peter puts his finger on inner beauty, verse 3, and and uh, I should say verse uh, on, on outer beauty, which is verse 3, and inner beauty, which is verse 4. 
Let's take the first one in verse 3, the outer beauty. Let not your adornment be external only. Braiding the hair, wearing gold jewelry, and putting on dresses. Now, I'm grateful for the editors of our Bible who have added the word only. Before it was added, some preachers had the audacity to say that braiding the hair and wearing gold jewelry and putting on dresses all fell in the category of being disobedient to God. I never could figure out how putting on dresses would be disobedient to God, by the way. I could understand how come some would say braiding hair and wearing gold jewelry, but the verse does not say, let not your adornment be external at all. It says, let not your adornment be external only. Check your attitude is the third piece of advice. That's in verse 4. It begins with a contrastive particle, but. Verse 3, let not your adornment be external only, but. Now the attitude. Let the adornment include the hidden person of the heart with the imperishable quality of a gentle and quiet spirit, which is precious in the sight of God. Immediately, we notice a contrast. Let your adornment be deep within. I would paraphrase it, a gentle tranquility, a secure calmness. Because you know who you are and you know who you adore and serve, the Lord Christ. Let the adornment include the hidden person of the heart. By the way, uh, I don't think it would take any of you ladies more than two or three hours to prepare yourself physically for the most elegant of evenings. But you know, it takes all your life to prepare the hidden person of the heart. That's a lifetime task. After checking your attitude, the final piece of command, or final command, or counsel for the wife is evaluate your attention. Evaluate your attention. Look at verses 5 and 6. For in this way... In former times, the holy women also who believed in, who hoped in God, used to adorn themselves. Look at how he uses the word adorn for the inner as well as the outer person. The women of God in yesteryear used to adorn themselves in the same way, being submissive, cooperative, adaptive, unselfish alongside their husbands. In fact, he gives a special illustration. For thus Sarah obeyed Abraham, calling him Lord. And you have become her children, if you do what is right, without being frightened by any fear. You see the word obeyed in verse 6, Sarah obeyed Abraham. You know what a good paraphrase would be? She paid attention to him. She paid attention to him. She considered his needs. She cooperated with his wishes. She adapted to his desires. If I could encourage you wives in one major area in this study, it would be to evaluate where you place most of your attention as a married woman. 
And I say that even to you who have multiple children. And I understand that. It is easy in the press of caring for the constant needs of children to put the needs of a husband on hold. That is often where there begins to be a breakdown in a marital relationship. You're listening to Insight for Living and a message from Chuck Swindoll titled, Hope Beyond I Do. Today's study, Hope Beyond I Do, is just a part of a larger 17-part study through the book of 1 Peter. It's called Hope Again, When Life Hurts and Dreams Fade. And there's also a workbook that coincides and even a hardcover commentary through the book of 1 Peter. You can make your purchase on any of these helpful resources by going online to insight.org or call 1-800-772-8888. As you dig deeper into this topic on your own, remember that Insight for Living has a wide variety of other resources available to you online. We invite you to spend some time browsing through our website to see the articles, messages, books, and other related materials at your disposal. You'll find these resources and more at insight.org slash marriage. And you can download the convenient mobile app online in order to hear Chuck's teaching on your own schedule and wherever you go. You'll find a link for downloading the mobile app on our website at insight.org slash app. Finally, we'd invite you to follow Chuck Swindoll on Twitter and join the conversation about today's topic and more by liking our page on Facebook. And you'll find the links for both Facebook and Twitter online at insight.org. Chuck Swindoll continues his message on marriage, Hope Beyond I Do, next time on Insight for Living. 